0: Welcome back to Fintech Business Podcast. I'm joined today by Shmulek Fishman, the founder and CEO of Argyle. Argyle provides payroll connectivity infrastructure that powers solutions like income and employment verification, deposit switching, payroll link lending, and earned wage access. Shmulek, thank you so much for joining me. We were supposed to record this live earlier in the week at Fintech Meetup, but due to a little technical difficulty on my part, we weren't able to. So thank you for your flexibility. Of course. To kick it off... How did you find the event? Any key themes or takeaways for you from a couple days in uh, Las Vegas?
1: Well, it's nice to be uh, here talking with you today. Thanks for being flexible as well. Um, I I always like going to events and being in person with our clients and our partners um, and our team as well. We've been living in the age of COVID and in the age of Zoom, and whenever there's a chance to meet in person, I think that a lot of conversations come alive. And I was feeling that uh, throughout the event as well that people were um, having their sort of second or third conversation on a topic and really move things forward. So I'm I'm pro events. I'm pro in person. Um, it's good to do more of it.
0: Yeah, it, it, that was uh, definitely a recurring conversation point for me as well. I mean, it's funny at one point, during, you know, the earlier days of COVID, it felt like the narrative was like, you know, events are dead, the office is mm-hmm. dead, everything is going to be fully remote forever. Uh, and to your point, after whatever, 18 months of uh, si- sitting alone in my house in in the Netherlands, staring at squares on Zoom, it, it has been oh, really no. nice, really nice to be back uh, in, in person. Um, I mean, one topic that was certainly top of mind, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but (laughs) with certainly, you know, SVB, the fallout there, you know, that's a a story that's continuing to develop in the sense that, you know, uh, the FDIC has extended the window for bidding on, you know, SVB or its assets. The situation with Signature, First Republic is continuing to unfold, Credit Suisse. I mean, I kind of think of these as, you know, somewhat distinct stories and that the underlying causes you know, mm-hmm. are, are are quite a bit different, but obviously together they're forming a narrative of, of a certain amount of fear or stress in the banking system mm-hmm. writ large. I mean, I'm wondering, you know, from, from your experience, uh, from where you sit at Argyle, as well as the many conversations I'm sure you had during the event, you know, any lessons from this unfolding situation, any adverse impact to either you know, yourself at Argyle or sure. your customers or, or your customers, customers, um, sure. any, any takeaways there?
1: Well, first, just zooming out and taking a wider lens. I don't think anybody could predict that at the beginning of this month, we would be in the midst of a banking crisis. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, it's interesting just to see how fast stories develop now. And I think it also speaks a little bit to just what the event is. Um, it's very much, a story that uh, developed on Twitter, developed on media, and has cascaded. And it's shown some real fissures that are in the banking space. Um, you know, Banking is about taking in deposits and then making loans on those deposits. And that means that if everybody asked for their money back all at once, you would not be able to do it. No bank would be able to do it. But we're seeing some banks that have been put under a lot of stress well, we uh, well, uh, Argel doesn't have any exposure itself to SVB. We don't bank with SVB. Um, uh, some of our clients have, and it's been it's been good to see that our clients are still on sound footing and that they've been able to make payroll. I will say that um, you know, banking is one of those spaces where everybody needs it, and you love banking to be more boring than it is. Um, and perhaps this is an opportunity to put some better guardrails around. Uh, banks that are making a higher level of loans are, are in more risky areas of the market. And I think as you look at some of these banks, they're they're definitely um, catering to clientele that, um, you know, um, are on more of the bleeding edge of things. And that's part of it. Uh, but it definitely has taken on a global proportion. So I'm with you on that. Uh, we're, we're here on the sidelines, uh, thankful that we're not involved um, and really, uh, really wanting to help our clients if, if they have some exposure to it.
0: I mean, one of the sort of areas of potential fallout that that I'm sort of most intrigued to see how it develops, particularly um from a regulatory perspective, is it feels like there are sort of conflicting public policy priorities, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've heard we've heard a lot from you know the current administration, you know, both from you know the executive office itself as well as regulators about fostering competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then one of the sort of pieces of the follow-up from this is we've seen a lot of deposits move away from you know mm-hmm. smaller banks, community banks to already very large institutions, your GSIBs, you know, JPMC mm-hmm. and Bank of America, etc. You know, one piece um you know that we've heard particularly from the CFPB about an opportunity to foster competition is you know quote unquote open banking or the mm-hmm. sort of 1033 process. I'm sure listeners are very familiar with industry stalwarts in that space, like Plaid and, and MX and Finicity. Can you provide a little context on how what Argyle does? So I sort of think of this as as payroll connectivity infrastructure, but if you have mm-hmm. a different term, please, please feel free to suggest it. You know, can you provide a little context on what is similar and different versus uh the open banking space in, in sort of the companies i mentioned that that perhaps um have been around a little bit longer or a little bit more sure. established so the
1: key to good underwriting
0: both for consumers and for businesses is
1: good credit policies and that means looking at a lot of data and making sound lending decisions and you know we were talking before about banks making lending decisions um, on businesses, Argyle operates um, by providing a data set for lending to happen for consumers, for end customers, for the the worker at Starbucks, for the driver uh, of Uber. And that does mean that uh, Argyle needs to connect or have connectivity to the tens of thousands of different payroll systems that exist in the United States. Very similar, you're so right, to um, what Plaid is doing or MX is doing or Finicity is doing. There are many bank aggregators that provide connectivity into banking to do underwriting. You know, cash flow underwriting has become a, um, a a big topic over the last few years. Argyle does um, does connectivity, but for payroll, where if you're trying to look at pay stubs, or you're trying to look at W twos, you're trying to look at somebody's shifts and how they fluctuate or how income fluctuates week over week or even day over day. Those are data sets that Argyle can power. And so we are that connective tissue between payroll and a lender, right. uh, That is trying to uh, issue loans uh, or manage a book of business uh, on, on individual consumers.
0: So uh, an interesting uh, point of differentiation I've heard mentioned in the past that perhaps makes what you do more complicated is that Mm -hmm. in the, you know, in the plaid world, there's essentially two parties, right? There's me, and let's say I bank at Chase because mm-hmm. I do. And so mm-hmm. it's like, okay, there seems to be a a, a pretty easy conceptual argument to make sure. that you know, as as the bank consumer, you know, that data conceptually should belong to me, and I should have sure. the right to have sort of control or portability over that. And, you know, that's sort of the, the rulemaking that is continuing mm-hmm. to unfold under 1033. In the payroll universe, You know, it becomes more complicated because there are more stakeholders, right? You know, at least three, if not four, there's the employer, you know, the employee uh, sure. and a payroll provider or, you know, uh, HR management system. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about how you know, if at all, that complicates doing what you do, which is building that infrastructure?
1: Well, I definitely agree with you. It's a
0: lot more complex
1: uh, than open banking. Uh, But I think in a slightly different way, let's take the prototypical example of Venmo. If you have a Venmo account, you log in and it says connect to your bank. I bank with Wells Fargo. Um, And so, uh, you know, if I log into Venmo, I'm the consumer. That's Party One. Wells Fargo is my bank. That's Party Two, and Party Three is Venmo. So there are three parties involved in open banking, and the same uh, structure works uh, for open payroll. If I'm trying to get a loan, there's the there's the loan provider, um, there's my payroll provider. I my payroll is Rippling, and there's me. So there's three parties again. So the, it's the same structure, it's just that we've replaced uh, Chase or Wells Fargo with Rippling or ADP, but the other parts actually stay exactly the same. It's a different data source, where you are so right that it is way more complicated. In Plaid's example, if you, lo- if you open up the Plaid widget, it's going to show you a list of 10 banks. Those lists of 10 banks that Plaid shows represent about 60% of all checking accounts in the United States. So there's a lot of consolidation in terms of where they need to build banking connectivity. It's just the top 10 banks. Um, If you put the top 10 payroll systems on a screen, you have about 3% of all payroll accounts. So the fragmentation in payroll is much, much more vast. In fact, um, I find this stat hard to consume, but the IRS has registered over 250,000 payroll service providers in the United States. That means there are 250 thousand entities that are allowed to pay out people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about 18 thousand banks in the United States. So the, the 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 segmentation of the pie is much much more fractured. Which means the work on Argyle's side is much more advanced because instead of having to connect to 18 thousand banks, we need to connect to something like 250 thousand payroll service providers and make all that connectivity accessible in that same widget so much more complicated for Argyle, not more complicated for our clients or mm-hmm. our end consumers
0: that's interesting i i had no idea that the payroll space was quite that fragmented i mean it, it, it's interesting yes. um you know as everyone i'm sure knows i i uh, live in the Netherlands and here there's functionally like three right. banks right? right like ABN Amro ING and Rabo which is already a distant third cover probably like 90% plus of the sure. market um which makes you know doing you know building that type of infrastructure uh, on the open banking side you know yeah. considerably uh easier because there's just many many fewer players i did not realize that the the payroll sure. processing space was that just to, ah, fragmented. Yeah, to, to peel back the onion,
1: just one more layer yeah. on that. Just, uh, I think everybody knows what ADP is. It's the prototypical payroll provider. Um, I, I know way too many payroll providers, but let's focus on ADP. ADP itself has over 100 payroll systems, just ADP. Right. And so the reason why that is ADP has bought a bunch of companies over the years. And while we think as consumers that there's ADP and when somebody opens up the Argyle widget and types ADP, we just show them the ADP login to keep everything simple. But under the hood, there's all these different systems, depending on what type of corporation you're in, what state you're in. We manage all that complexity um, on our consumers behalf, on our clients behalf. So you can have an experience that feels a little bit more like Europe all the way here Mm -hmm. in the United States.
0: Interesting. I mean, I I want to dig into a couple of the use cases that you mentioned. I mean, my my background when I had more traditional operating roles was in unsecured consumer lending, right? So I've worked... Across a variety of products, uh, small dollar lending, which is you know particularly high risk, and sort of the timeliness of the data you're looking at is really important, mm-hmm. uh, as well as other products, revolving credit, you know, personal loans, student loans. Sure. A- and I think you know the the classic uh, cliche in <laughs> underwriting risk in unsecured consumer products is that it boils down to understanding uh, is a consumer able to repay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are they willing to repay? Yep. So in my sort of understanding of the kinds of capabilities Argyle provides is it can a- actually speak to you know, both oh. parts of that, right? So looking at something like verification of employment, you know, and or income, uh, as well as something that I think is perhaps a little less well understood and nascent, which is um, payroll-linked lending. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about how both of those capabilities work uh, in you know, facilitating you know, mm-hmm. better underwriting and, and hopefully improved access to credit for populations that maybe you know haven't historically had access to great options? So I'm su- super with you. As a lender, um, in any
1: vertical, uh, consumers' ability to repay and their willingness to repay is critical, I'd add a third into that, which is how expensive is it to know those answers? If it was free to know everybody's ability to repay and willingness to repay, I think you would have that information for every single loan, every single time, every single day. But it is actually very complex and cumbersome and extensive to get access to that information. Just think about um, renting an apartment, for example, um, uh, you have to like go into ADP, download a bunch of uh, uh, files, put them in an email, send them to somebody else, and the job's not over then. Uh, the person on the other side has to manually review that information, copy it into some other system. This is very cumbersome, and it means that a lot of loan, a lot of credit is extended Without great data sets, without proper underwriting. That's what, that's what unsecured lending is about, right? It's too costly, too cumbersome to get all the underlying data sets. So we're going to make a set of assumptions on the cheap so we can, we can process the loan. What uh uh what Argyle has done is we've brought the cost way down to get income data, you know, something like 80% cost reduction if you use Argyle over other systems like OCR or like credit bureaus. And because we brought the cost way down, that means asking these type of questions: how much money do you make? How consistently do you make this money? How long have you been making it? Do you have multiple jobs? These are the type of questions that every lender, whether you're doing $500, $5,000, a car or an apartment, everybody wants to know the answers to these questions. And if you make it cost effective uh, to ask these questions and you make it really easy for your consumer to provide the data set where all they have to do is log into their account and the computer does the rest, all of a sudden um, you're able to get your answers um, a lot more readily. I will say that uh, as you ask about paycheck lending, wh- what that is just doing is it's saying if we can make it very easy to get, how, uh, get access to how much money an individual is making, you can then make a loan and monitor that loan by somebody's payroll, right? So you lend somebody $1,000 and every day, if you want to, you can keep on verifying, is this person still employed? Did, did this person show up for work? You can ask that question every day. It's not expensive or cumbersome for either the mm-hmm. consumer or the lender. And when payroll runs the next time, we can actually take a portion of uh, the payout and send it directly to the lender because we have again access to payroll. So we can siphon off or split payroll. So you know, eighty percent of my money goes to Wells Fargo, and rest goes to the lender. Nothing um, very fancy about this. There's nothing new about it per se. It's just that because we're connected directly into payroll, instead of looking at pay stubs or W twos or checks. Um, or having uh, ACH wire transfers, we're able to consolidate a ton of friction into a single process.
0: I mean, I think those are all very interesting points. When, when, you know, uh, earlier in my career, particularly when I was at at LendUp, uh, which was like quite a long time ago Mm -hmm. at this point, (laughs) um, you know, I I did not fully understand the cost that went in to underwriting. And particularly... Um, what I thought was interesting in that circumstance was, you know, because you were had a fairly low approval rate. Say mm-hmm. you know, whatever twenty percent, fifteen percent of applicants actually were approved, and then most of the people who were approved would then convert and, and actually take that loan. Uh, but you're underwriting hundred percent of applicants, Correct. and so when you're thinking of, you know, we used the term uh, back then data cost, but basically the total cost to underwrite per approved user can end up being, you know, five X or five X, six X, what it costs to underwrite a single person because not everyone is going to be approved. Uh, And then to another point you made uh, as far as the ease of doing this, you know, in particularly in that, in that payday product at the time, you know, Ideally, sure, you would confirm everyone's employment and their income right. because that's just good underwriting. But the problem, Correct. particularly with uh, something that somebody wants access to very quickly, which which is, tends to be the nature of that small dollar product, you know, there tends to be mm-hmm. some kind of emergency driving that that need or that decision. You know, if you asked somebody, you know, hey, provide the the number of your employer you know i'm going to call them you know not that mm-hmm. not that, so most finten- that yeah that it really exists yeah. so that's yeah. a huge yeah.
1: thing that happens you see a lot of phone banks
0: <laughs> um you know or even uh at the time certain states required uh a pay stub to be mm-hmm. on file and so that would basically mm-hmm. be like an upload of a pdf yeah you would see massive drop off either Correct. because you know maybe Maybe they didn't have that information. Maybe they didn't have it easily accessible. Maybe mm-hmm. they just didn't want to do it, and they were, you know, they were going to go somewhere else where they were hoping to get an easier process. And so, yes. optimizing, you know, both of these things, you know, obviously the cost side is going to impact the profitability of of you know being able to underwrite or approve certain customers, uh, and then the friction side, you know, being able to optimize that conversion rate. You know, I, I, I'm curious to uh, pick a little bit more at that. Sure. You know, I venture most people probably know their login credentials for their bank account. You know, they're probably looking at that sure. with, with high frequency, right? I probably look at my bank account every day, although it's in my app. So I don't need to, uh, I don't need to yeah. log into that every time. You know, most people don't frequently yeah. log in to their, you know, their ADP, for example, is that an area sure. where, you know, you've seen challenges as far as people knowing their credentials or, or is there opportunity there to sort of improve the ease with which people can access that that information?
1: So I have news for both of us. We are not like most people. Um, most Americans, about 60% of the US workforce makes money on a shift, task or piecemeal basis, which means they need to log into a system to get their next shift, to see how much money they make, to get time off. In fact, most Americans are logging into their payroll many more times a day than they log into their bank because their bank is where the money ends up. Payroll is where they make it. And they can't make their next shift, their next $100, their next paycheck without logging into payroll again. And so what we've found uh, through, this, through the last five years is that when we talk to our clients, our clients don't know their password to payroll, but our clients' users know their password to payroll very well because hmm. our our end consumers, our clients, our clients, uh, customers, they're the they're the people that stock shelves at Target. They're hmm. the people that make coffee at Starbucks. They're the people that drive for Uber. They're the people um, that are filing paper at a law firm. They're working on a day piecemeal basis, and that means they know their password really well. In fact. Not even talking about uh, banks for a sec, we find that um, our customers are able to know their passwords more frequently than they're able to type in their social security numbers. Because again, it's something they're typing in all the time. Not you and me. You and me make money via salary, where we know on the 15th and last, there's a specific amount coming into our bank account, no reason to log in. But if you work at, at McDonald's, you need to pick up your next shift. And so there's a huge educational component to using Argyle where you have to step out of what your normal day is as a business owner um, and think about what what's the normal day of my consumers, the people that work at McDonald's or Target or Starbucks.
0: That, I mean, that's interesting. And, and it does intuitively make sense. It, it has been... Uh a very long time since i had a a shift based hourly job probably when i was uh probably when i was an <laughs> undergraduate student and and back then i think the uh schedule was printed out and and tacked uh, to the cork board so that just tells you how uh how old i am now you um, and me both <laughs> i mean a, a a common um catchphrase which i actually continue to hear a lot uh even even last week at fintech meetup is uh, about how you know fintech can you know democratize X or expand mm-hmm. access and inclusion, uh, and and frankly, I've been I've become a little bit cynical about some of that <laughs> language, uh, particularly applied to things like you know crypto uh, I agree with or Web three Web three you know Robinhood. It's like okay, you sure. can democratize access to day trading, I suppose. Uh, I do think you know payroll APIs like Argyle are one of the areas where i feel like that statement actually you know yeah. has some merit and is applicable to to sort of fulfill on that promise. Yeah. Now, can you expand a little bit and we've already covered some of this but in what ways you know the the data the payroll data and the ongoing connectivity so the ability yeah. to to ping that with with frequency at low cost yeah. can help better serve consumers who like historically you know, maybe have been thin file, no sure. file, or they've had, you know, mm-hmm. uh, problems managing credit in the past, you know, how can this help consumers mm-hmm. who who historically, you know, have not had great options?
1: A really practical example, we've been on a multi-year journey with Fannie Mae um, to get certification for our data set to be used to underwrite a mortgage. And one of the really interesting uh, components of, of this process is that, We've been putting Target data and Uber data and QuickBooks data and ADP data side by side. So if you want to know somebody's base pay, you can actually pull that out. Whether you're a shift worker, a gig worker, an hourly worker, a salary worker, and this is a game-changing data set for somebody trying to underwrite thin or no-file workers because. Um, A lot of people actually get rejected for a loan or mortgage or credit facility because their job A, their primary job doesn't quite have enough income, but they actually do have a second and a third job that they'd like to use for the verification process. I I pack boxes at Target and I also drive for Uber. And if you Mm -hmm. combine these two sources of income together, you actually do provide a, a lot more people access to credit facilities because now somebody that was making 50 is actually making 85 now because we've combined two income sources together. And this does just plainly uh, marketing aside, this does grow the size of the pie of people that can get loans, get mortgages, get access to credit, because we're now displaying higher levels of income for the same people because we're, we're tying income sources together. And so I'm I'm with you both on the overhype of it but also on the promise that that Argyle has around this category
0: I mean I think that's a, another really great example of how sort of traditional Bank products financial Correct. products have been designed for a sort of like median audience median consumer the person who is you know a salary W2 income working whatever mm-hmm. 40 45 hours a week Um, And, you know, increasingly, that's not what a growing share of the population looks like. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe you do have, you know, 30 hours a week uh, at one job, but that varies week to week or month to month. But maybe you also have other kind of side hustle income, whether it's, you know, selling on Etsy or Uber, et cetera, and getting that holistic view, um, you know, not only... Is important for sort of like equity, right? You know, treating uh, uh, treating customers of sort of different um, employment styles in, mm-hmm. in a fair way, but also can help improve the ability to approve applicants. And I mean, I think your mortgage example, you know, is particularly important because in the United States, the ability to own your home remains the number one way most people are able to build wealth. Mm-hmm. And so you know I think any any strategy, whether it's sort of like a public policy initiative or a uh, you know, a fintech private sector uh, innovation that enables uh, more people to be able to access mortgage financing yes. in a in a uh, responsible way, I think is really important to help sort of achieve that outcome. I mean, I agree on a related topic um, you know, legislators and regulators have been very (laughs) slow to keep up with (laughs) emerging technology, emerging data sources, you know, like open banking and payroll data. Right. I mean, despite Dodd-Frank calling for making some rules around customer data portability, what, 13 years ago, you know, we're still seeing that rulemaking slowly unfold. Um, so sure. you know, FICRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, which governs how consumer data uh, can be treated and used for underwriting, was signed into law in the 1970s when I imagine punch cards were like the cutting edge <laughs> of, of computing. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how improved regulatory clarity, you know, could benefit uh You know, really every participant in this equation, you know, from end consumers to, Mm -hmm. you know, banks, lenders, and the infrastructure providers like Argyle.
1: Yeah, it's almost like uh, the regulators still think they're in the Don Draper TV show. Uh, That seems (laughs) to be. Um, where they where they say I- I'm I uh, I'm a fan of regulation. I think regulation, smart regulation, is a good thing, not a bad thing. I'd like our to be more regulated. I like our industry to be more regulated. Um, you are so right um, that Dodd Frank set out a, a really good set of principles that have yet to be fully implemented, and uh, the conversations that's going around uh, concerning 1033. Is very much an extension of that initial promise where um, you know bank information was classified uh, as financial data that had to be freely accessible by a consumer in a computerized format and ten thirty three it has it's a huge piece it 's a huge document it basically says that payroll data and some other data sources are also considered financial data and should be afforded the same uh, set of protections uh. I, I, I very, I'm very bullish on the rulemaking process. I'm uh, you know, we've sent a letter um, in support of the process uh, and we we're very much in conversation with the, with uh, different agencies. I also think that these things are going to take a really long time. And so uh, some, uh, what we're doing is, you know, we're having the conversations uh, with different agencies and we're also trying to set up standards for ourselves, standards on how, uh, data should be stored and secured, standards around how data should be formatted, obligations uh, to delete data and encrypt data when consumers ask for it, um, obligations around disclosures on how data is going to be used um, and being and know who is using your data. Uh, these are all things that Argyle is doing because we think it's the right thing to do. It also happens to be a lot of what's baked into these pieces of legislation. So um, yes and...
0: <laughs> uh I mean well we, we I think we shouldn't hold our breath on uh achieving regulatory clarity uh anytime soon but certainly something to to keep an eye out for I, I imagine regulators will be plenty busy dealing with with some other problems in crisis that's my
1: that's my hunch as well <laughs>
0: uh I think we have time for one more question I mean obviously sure. you know as has been uh talked about throughout the course of this conversation, you know, we're in a challenging operating environment, even before sort of the the most recent banking tumult, sort of the VC mm-hmm. ecosystem, the amount of uh, fundraising flowing into that climate, potential for, you know, consumer recession. Can you talk about uh, some of the key risks you see to Argyle's business in this current environment, how you're navigating those? Are there any sort of opportunities or silver linings from, you know, what's what's unfolding at the moment?
1: Businesses right now, I think, are, are tightening their belts um, and constraining some of their more future forward initiatives. They're just trying to do the basics right now. And Argyle is very much a, a company that is trying to bring modernization um, and technology to what has been antiquated processes. And in environments like this, those sometimes uh, certain sets of conversations stall because people are like, we're going to wait till next year to have this. It also helps. It also is a tailwind in some regards when people want to cut costs, when they want to automate, uh, when they want to streamline uh, and remove, uh, you know, let's just say it the way it is remove humans and remove op Mm desks from the process. Argyle can be a tool. And it means that we do need to reframe some of the, the value propositions for Argyle. But if you're trying to verify more people but spend less on verification mm-hmm. argyle is the solution if you're trying to remove paper remove fraud remove rejections argyle is the solution um, and so i think that this is a great opportunity for us to pivot and make sure that our message is tailored to the to the highest ranking needs that our customers have that that our prospects have so i'm uh, there's definitely you know uh, every market environment brings risks but we're trying to see them as opportunities so
0: that's the silver lining for you. Well, and I would think also, you know, as there is potential for the consumer credit cycle to turn, you know, not just the automation piece that you mentioned, but the the greater importance of understanding uh, with fresh data, like, is this person still employed? Correct. How many hours is he or she working? Has that changed? Um, especially for something like a revolving credit product, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I remember, um, you know, in my time at at Marcus, the the personal loan product at Goldman, sure. you know, we kind of had like a waterfall of like income verification approaches, but one of yep. them would be uploading a W two, and it's like, what mm-hmm. is a W two? It's the amount of money you made last, last year, last <laughs> tax year, right? Yep. And so in a climate where um, you know, not just employment, but maybe also things like yeah. commissions and bonuses yeah. and number of hours worked can change very, very quickly in order to underwrite and continue approving customers that you are, you know, hopeful will not default. You need to be using um, yeah. accurate data. And if it's if what you're looking at is is backward looking, um, you know, that's going to impede your ability to do that.
1: And just to, uh, you know, use your your Goldman or Marcus example, you know, that's a button on a screen where it says upload pay stubs and you have to click Mm a button. Just imagine adding a second button, right? Upload your pay stubs or connect to payroll, right? That's all we're saying you, you need to do. And when you click connect to payroll, it's actually cheaper both for the business and for the consumer. And it's actually less friction. Again, both for the business and for the consumer, no paste stepss, no analysts, no copy and pasting. So you, you have the right uh, you have the right analogy.
0: Fantastic. Uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Shmulik, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, for you. listeners who want to learn more about Argyle or to get in touch, where can they find you?
1: argyle.com and i'm shmuelik at argyle.com please uh, send me an email i I like talking to clients um so i'm happy to take happy to take emails on rapid fire
0: fantastic email him uh until next time (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time